Let's pray. Oh God, you are the Holy One. You are the supreme ruler of the universe. You are Lord of the church. And here we are. What word would you send to us today? Make it clear. Please hide this, hide this voice. Let it be the voice of the Spirit we hear deep within our own hearts. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Do you find yourself ever pining for the good old days? The good old days. Kind of like Garrison Keillor. Are you acquainted with Garrison Keillor? He's a much loved, uh, nationally syndicated uh, radio show. What's it called? The Prairie Home Companion. Garrison Keillor, who begins every one of his programs with this little monologue about his hometown called Lake Wobegon, Minnesota. Turns out he made it all up. There is no Lake Wobegon, but he likes to tell everybody who's listening. Lake Wobegon is actually based on an old Indian word that means the place where we waited in the rain all day for you. It's so, <laughs> where, you where you come up with this? Anyway, it's just kind of a whimsical nostalgia that he weaves into that monologue. And he always ends the monologue with these words, always these words. Speaking about the good old days, here they are. Well, that's the news from Lake Wobegon where all the women are strong, all the men are good-looking, and all the children are above average. There's something about the past. Oh, we could just go back when it was all so good. Truth of the matter is, speaking of the good old days, they were neither... Not good. I mean, you look at what they went through, and not old because we keep doing it over and over and over again, even in the church. And I'm thinking about our church. In just a few days, literally, we'll be gathered in San Antonio. What do we have? We have uh, church members and delegates and leaders from nearly every country on earth in the, in the um, Alamo Dome. And we might be pining for the good old days, but I wonder if the good old days of Acts chapter 15 will be, in fact, what takes place. I want to go to that story with you today. Title of today's teaching, Think Local, Act Global, Recalibrating What Matters, Mission or Method. Let's go. Acts chapter 15. I've got the NIV here. doesn't matter to me what translation you have. As long as you have your Bible, don't have a Bible, grab the pew Bible in front of you, your tablet, your phone, whatever. Acts chapter 15, page 745 in your pew Bible. Take a look at this. Take a look at this narrative. See what you think. Acts chapter 15, verse 1. And certain people came down from Judea to Antioch and were teaching the believers, unless you are circumcised according to the custom taught by Moses, you cannot be saved. So here comes a delegation from church headquarters. We know that they're coming from Jerusalem because whenever you leave, you leave Jerusalem, you always go down. You can go north, but you're still going down. Jerusalem is the pinnacle of the earth. So they would write that way. They're going to they're make a journey of 350 to 400 miles. Nobody travels on foot that far without something really burdening your heart, and they've got a heavy burden. Turns out that uh, Antioch is where Paul and Barnabas are working. In fact, Antioch, according to the book of Acts, was the first place on earth where the disciples of Christ were called Christians. It's a large church of Gentiles. Also turns out that Peter is there. And Peter, who himself was in the house, was in the, house of, the of the pagan 
Roman centurion Cornelius and saw the Holy Spirit poured out on the entire pagan household the moment they accepted Jesus. Peter knows that the wall of partition between the Jews and the Gentiles, that wall, brick by brick, God has taken it down. So Peter's there. In fact, this is probably the delegation Paul is talking about in Galatians chapter 2. Galatians, Paul puts it there, certain men came from James. James is the stepbrother of Jesus. He's the, 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 the tacit leader of the church in Jerusalem. And the moment the men come, here's the deal. The moment the men come, boy, everything changes. Now, before the men got there, Peter was enjoying potlucks with all the new Gentile Christians, just loving the fellowship, sitting around the table, swapping stories, having a great time, pass, pass the potatoes, please, and he's just in the thick of it. As soon as this delegation shows up from headquarters and the word is out, they are, they are after uncircumcised Gentile Christians in that instant. Peter says, whoa, and he does something embarrassing in he, he gets up from the table where the gent, Gentiles are eating. He walks across the room to where only the circumcised Jewish Christians are eating. He plops himself down there. And Paul spots that. And, oh, boy, it's an embarrassing moment. But Paul dresses Peter down in public on the spot. Why would Paul do that? F.F. F. Bruce, in his commentary in the book of Acts, I like his insightful uh, observation, put... Uh, Bruce's words on the screen, Peter's example, you see that there, Peter's example was bound to have, this switching tables, a disastrous effect on others. It would, unless checked, endanger the whole principle of Christian unity. Paul saw quite clearly that the concession in the matter of table fellowship was bound in the long run to compromise the basic gospel principle that salvation was the gift of God's grace in Christ to be received by faith alone, and these are my words, and not by circumcision as well. So Paul says, yo, time out. This is not right. Needless to say, the appearance of this delegation in Antioch, Assyria, creates a huge dissension now. Verse 2, this brought Paul, oh boy, this brought Paul and Barnabas into sharp dispute and debate with the delegation. So, Paul and Barnabas were appointed along with some other believers to go up to Jerusalem to see the apostles and elders about this question. What question? Question. Do Gentiles have to be circumcised in order to be saved? We need to know this. Yeah, we understand. We understand the mission. The mission, is to go, the mission is to go into all the world. We understand the mission, but the method. Do Gentiles have to be circumcised? Do they have to become essentially proselytized Jews before they can become Christians? We understand Jesus said go into all the world and make disciples. We understand the mission. The question is about the method. Do they have to be circumcised? Whew. Verse 4. And when they, Paul and Barnabas and that little Antioch delegation, when they came to Jerusalem, they were welcomed by the church and the apostles and elders to whom they reported everything God had done through them. Verse 5, then some of the believers who belonged to the party of the Pharisees stood up and said, ha, the Gentiles must be circumcised and required to keep the law of Moses. Absolutely adamant and clear, and they had... They had a very plain, thus saith the Lord, to support their position because they had the Torah 
and in the Torah is the Pentateuch, and then the Pentateuch is the book of Genesis, and in Genesis chapter 17, verse 3, God says to Abraham, listen, I'm giving you circumcision to be an everlasting covenant. Don't want it to ever end. See, we got it. This is a confusing moment for the church. Verse 6, and so the apostles and the elders, here we go now, verse 6, and the, the apostles and the elders met to consider this question. And after much discussion, Peter got up and addressed them. Hit the pause button right there. There are two characteristics we've just run across of a Holy Spirit-guided faith community that we can already identify. Two characteristics. I want you to please note these. Grab your study guide. Is there a study guide tucked away in your worship bulletin? You don't have a study guide, hold your hand up. Here come our friendly ushers. They want to make sure that everybody here has a study guide. You didn't get one, hold your hand up, up in the balcony. You don't have a study guide. All right, here they come. While they're coming to you, let me just say to those of you who are watching right now, we're delighted to have you. Get into the teaching with us. You can get the same study guide. Let me put our website on the screen for you. There it is. You see it, www.pmchurch.tv. Go to that website. You're looking for this little mini-series called uh, Think Local Act Global. The particular teaching you're looking for is Recalibrating the Church Mission or Method. All right? As soon as you see that, it says Study Guide. Click on there. You'll have it. What we're looking for are two characteristics of a Holy Spirit-guided faith community. Characteristic number one, we just read it, jot it down, Acts chapter 15, verse 7, after much discussion. Would you write in the word discussion? I was so glad when I saw that word, after much discussion. Because I think about my own faith community. And how long? Over 40 years now, it is discussed and debated a particular issue that has elicited two diametrically opposite points of view. I had the privilege over the last, what, three or four years of sitting on some committees and councils that have been wrestling with this, with this question tasked to find biblical consensus. I've listened to paper after paper being read, fine, bi strong biblical papers. Even I had to read a paper once to the group. But as I've listened, it has become clear to me that while the Bible is absolutely clear about its fundamental truths, and I can think of 28 of them right now, while it's Fun, absolutely clear about these fundamental truths, it has become clear to me that God-fearing, Christ-loving, Bible-believing Christians, men and women, can actually come when it concerns this particular concern that is a concern of all, can actually come to opposite conclusions. How could that be? So I took a little bit of hope, almost like there was divine permission to have much, discuss much discussion when I read that verse 7, after much discussion. Apparently, it's okay to have much discussion within the community of faith. And here's the other one, uh, a characteristic of a Holy Spirit-guided faith community. Number two, jot it down. In fact, we read these words a moment ago, Acts chapter 15, verse 2. There was sharp dispute and debate. Would you write those two words in, please? There was sharp dispute and debate. You know what? The closer we come to San Antonio, and I, for one, will certainly be glad when we get past San Antonio. It's just between you and me. 
But the closer we come to San Antonio, have you noticed the more heated the rhetoric, the more impassioned and frenetic the efforts to persuade everyone else to believe just like we do, whoever we is? A sharp dispute and debate. We read it in the Bible. But fortunately, in the good old days, they didn't have the Internet. Because if they'd had the Internet back then, this book would be twice as thick. Because everybody's writing. Everybody's a publisher now. Everybody's a communicator. You'd be online to, 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 to your heart's content. You'd be on YouTube. You too can be heard. I read those words, sharp, dispute, and debate. I guess the good old days weren't so good and so old, were they? I guess it's okay. I guess the Holy Spirit can be working in the church, and this, this happened. It's not a sign he's not around. Then Peter stands up. Okay, Peter stands up. And he makes a stirring appeal. And by the way, scholars believe that the Galatians 2 incident where Paul kind of had to publicly dress him down takes place before this because there's no equivocation now in Peter. There's no him hawing around. Boom, he says, I know exactly what the truth is. And I want you to read Peter's speech. Luke records it here. Not going to put it on the screen. No, I want you to see it in your Bible. Don't be looking at the screen now. I'm just going to read it and you follow along in your Bible. Let's pick it up in verse 7 again. After much discussion... In this Jerusalem council, Peter got up and he addressed them. Brothers, you know that some time ago God made a choice among you that the Gentiles might hear from my lips the message of the gospel and believe. God who knows the heart, verse 8, showed. This would be in Cornelius' pagan household. They all got the Holy Spirit. God who knows the heart showed that he accepted them by giving the Holy Spirit to them just as he did to us. The very same gift. They, ha they have it. They have it. The same gift. Verse 9. He did not discriminate between us and them, for he purified their hearts by faith. Now then, now then, verse 10. Why do you try to test God by putting on the necks of Gentiles a yoke that neither we nor our ancestors have been able to bear? No, verse 11. We believe it is through the grace of our Lord Jesus that we are saved just as they are. F.F. Bruce again. Why does Peter make the point he does? F.F. Bruce on the screen. Peter, as leader of the 12 I'm reading, reminded the company that the fundamental principle which they were discussing had already been decided. It's been decided by history. Cornelius and his household had not even made an oral confession of faith when the Holy Spirit came upon them. Why should further conditions now be imposed on them which God himself plainly did not require? End quote. Then Paul and Barnabas step up to the podium. Oh, I would love to have a DVD of this moment. Because they start, they start telling story after story about how the Spirit is being poured out and this wall of separation between the Jews and the Gentiles just brick by brick by brick by brick. It's going down. A lot of amens, amen, amen. It's like a general conference session where we're being regaled by these global conversion stories. Wow. Hallelujah. But finally the amens quiet down. Silence. James steps up. James is a stepbrother of Jesus. In fact, Josephus and uh, other first century writers indicate that James has huge appeal to the city of Jerusalem, particularly to the common people. You know why? Because they thought of him as an ascetic. They thought of him just as kind of like a, a righteous man of God, a prophet. 
And he often went to the temple and participated in their prayer services. So he commands instant respect. When James stands up, shh. He's kind of the, it might be like the Nazarene Sanhedrin. Maybe that's what's going on here. They have their own council where all the decisions are made. James stands up. Now this is a very delicate moment. Because the circumcision party is, we got James. We got James. He's on our side. And James is going to disappoint them. But he has to do it in a very gracious way. And so you know what he does? He gets up right after Paul and Barnabas and doesn't say a single word about Paul and Barnabas. You know why? Because what they've been doing is the source of the contention. And look what these guys are doing. So he told it as if they didn't, hadn't, hadn't even spoken. Instead, he goes back. He goes back to the previous speaker, which would be Peter, only he doesn't call him Peter. He takes his Hebrew name, Simeon. He calls him by his Hebrew name. And he says, you know, Peter got it right. Peter got it right. And then in a deft way, he skillfully leads the group. He's the only speaker now. The leader leads the group to a clear understanding of what they must do. I want you to listen to what he says to them. First he takes, by the way, first he takes an ancient prophecy. A little book called Amos. You've heard of Amos? He takes a couple lines out of Amos. Not a word about circumcision, which is the great heated debate going on. Not a word about circumcision. Not a word about circumcision in Amos either. But he quotes Amos where Amos says, coming into the tent of David will be Gentiles one day. And do you know what he does? God has never, God has never released circumcision as a requirement. There is no thus saith the Lord. But what James skillfully does is he infers, he infers from that prophecy in Amos. You know, the, the fact that Gentiles are going to come into this church, but he doesn't say a word. Circumcision will never be spoken in that gathering, not once, just the speech at the beginning. That's it. And he says, since the Gentiles are coming in, watch now, now we're ready. Verse 19, it is my judgment. This is James speaking. It is my judgment. Sometimes we have to make a decision where there's no clear, thus saith the Lord. We just have to make a decision. And so James, the stepbrother of Jesus, gets up and he says, it's my judgment. I think. It is my judgment, therefore, that we should not make it difficult for the Gentiles who are turning to God. Verse 20, instead, we should write to them, telling them to abstain from food polluted by idols, from sexual immorality, from the meat of strangled animals, and from blood. For, verse 21, the law of Moses has been preached in every city from the earliest times and is read in the synagogues every Sabbath. Don't worry. The Gentiles coming into the church, they'll get Moses. They'll get Moses every time they show up for church because they're all worshiping on the same Seventh-day Sabbath. They'll hear Moses in every synagogue. So we don't have to make sure that they get him. They'll get him. And that short little speech is over. The council listens. And then by a vote and a prayer, without ever mentioning the word circumcision a single time, they take circumcision off the list of required for salvation behavior. It's gone. It's gone. In fact, they write, they scribble out a letter. Okay, this letter's going to all the churches. 
Paul and Barnabas and a few, a couple others of you, you take it. And what, what, what does the letter say? Go down to verse 28. The letter has already begun, but I'll pick it up right here. Verse 28. The, the, the delegation, the council writes, it seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us. Hey, listen, listen, listen. Apparently, a church can gather in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ under the guidance of the Holy Spirit and can make decisions that it can then declare. We prayed, we talked, we decided. And what do they say? It seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us because the Holy Spirit works through group process. He has, that's the way he works. Group process. It's a good thing for the churches to come together. It's a good thing. That's how he works. It seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us. And then they just quote James. Took it right out of his speech. Quoted him. And it's over. One vote. One prayer. And the word is out. Not once has, con- has circumcision been mentioned. Not a single time. It's just quietly. Adios. It's gone. Isn't that something? Wow. Ellen White, by the way, Acts of the Apostles, put her words on the screen, please. Ellen White describes this divinely inspired paradigm shift. Thus, without controversy, prejudice was broken down. The exclusiveness established by the custom of ages was abandoned. And the way was open for the gospel to be proclaimed to the Gentiles. She, she speaks of Cornelius. The door is now open. The custom is gone. Amazing, isn't it? Hey, you, you, you mean circumcision ends? The circumcision end? Absolutely not. And this is what's so stunning. Watch this. Paul, who was so intense with this conviction that circumcision was immaterial to salvation in Christ and should not be required of Gentiles, even Paul himself practices circumcision after the Jerusalem council where they say it's gone. He still practices it. Watch this. Go to chapter 16. This is amazing. Acts chapter 16. Pick it up in verse 3. Paul wanted to take him. Who's that him? That's a young man that in his last missionary journey, Paul led to Christ. His name is Timothy, young, young minister to be. And Paul took him, wanted to take him, Timothy, along the journey. So, watch this. He circumcised Timothy because of the Jews who lived in that area, for they all knew his father was a Greek. Paul said, no, 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 no. But now needs Timothy to help him reach the Jews and the Gentiles. Very carefully circumcises Timothy. Now keep reading, keep reading. As they traveled from town to town, that would be verse 4, they, Paul and Timothy, delivered the decisions reached by the apostles and elders in Jerusalem for the people to obey. What's the decision? No circumcision. That was clearly the decision. No circumcision anymore. And yet Paul practices circumcision after the decision. I need you to jot that down real quick, would you? Jot it down, please. For the sake of the Jews, not wanting to put a stumbling block or wall between him and them, Paul circumcises Timothy. But hold on. Hold on to your pew. Watch this. Watch this. He chooses the very opposite strategy when he chooses another young minister named Titus says, hey, Titus, boy, I need you to work with me. We're going we're gonna, to we're gonna be a team, a ministerial team together. Exact opposite strategy. Watch this. He, he's writing to the church in uh, Galatia. Uh, Galatians chapter 2, verse 3. Yet not even Titus, 
who was with me was compelled to be circumcised even though he was a Greek, just like Timothy. Keep going. This matter arose because some false believers had infiltrated our ranks to spy on the freedom we have in Christ Jesus and to make us slaves. Now, jot it down again. For the sake of the Gentiles this time, you have it in your study guide. For the sake of the Gentiles this time, not wanting to put a stumbling block or wall between him and them, Paul refuses. Say, I'm not, I'm not circumcising him. No, he doesn't have to be circumcised. What's going on here? Paul and, Paul and Timothy work for Jews and Gentiles. Paul and Titus work only for Gentiles. Clearly, would you jot this down as well? Paul changed his methods depending on cultural circumstances and societal values. He changes his methods depending on where he is. What does that have to do with the church gathering in San Antonio in just a few days? Write down one more line, will you? Scribble it down. The, the Jerusalem Council models for us an essential truth for the church of God today. Write it down. Unity in mission, but diversity in method. Do you see that? The church in Acts powerfully demonstrates, by the way, this unity of mission. Jesus was very clear, go into all the world and make disciples of all the nations. United, united in mission. One united mission. But the very same church in Acts models for us two very differing methods for accomplishing that same mission. We just saw it. Paul did it. In some regions, in some regions of the world, they said yes to circumcision. In other regions of the world, they said no to circumcision. So which is it? Yes or no? The truth is, they, the church was able to live with both methods, both answers. Why? Because the cultural circumstances and the societal values where you are ministering make all the difference in the world. which allowed the same church, now please listen carefully, which allowed the same church to practice two very different methodologies in the very different cultures and countries of their world and still remain united. Wow. Jot it down, please. Note it carefully. To fulfill the same mission, the same church, the same denomination can practice two very different methods in the very different cultures and countries of the world and still remain united under the divine guidance of the same Holy Spirit the whole time. It isn't like there's only one method that God approves and the other one He rejects. It isn't like there's only one method that is biblically, biblically compatible and, and, and the other is not. The two parties in the Jerusalem Council both appealed to Holy Scripture even as today. And as, as it turns out, as we just noted from Paul's experience, the Holy Spirit ended up blessing both methods, both strategies. He says, I place my blessing on them both. United in mission. Diversity in method. United in mission, diversity in method. 
Now let's go back to the, uh, the last fill in the blank you're waiting for here. You can be apparently the same God who rules today. You can be a united global faith community and practice very diverse methods in your shared mission to seek and save the lost. United in mission, unity in mission, diversity in method. Because being, in, being united in mission does not necessitate being required to adopt the identical method. Ladies and gentlemen, brothers and sisters, it was the same way in Jesus' ministry. May I run some samples by you? Jesus in ministry? So healing the blind. One time he comes to a blind man, he says, as your faith, you're healed. Good. The guy's eyes open. He comes to another blind man. Instead, what does he do? Spits on the ground, makes some mud, rubs it all over his eyes. He says, now go wash in a the pool. Then you'll see. He comes to a third blind man. What does he do? He touches the blind man's eyes. And he says, how's it going? And the blind man says, it's not, you're, you're, you haven't gotten there yet. Everything's out of focus. So he touches him the second time. Now he's healed. Which is the right method to use? Jesus changes the method based on the context and the individuals involved. Jesus did the same to the rich young ruler. Whoa, whoa, that bar is raised so high. Sell everything you have, give to the poor, and then come follow me. But then poor, impoverished Peter Jesus lowers the bar way down. Hey, Pete, go fishing. Open the first fish's mouth. You'll find enough money to pay our taxes, yours and mine. Same Jesus. What's up? To the woman in adultery, neither do I condemn you. Now go and leave your past behind, girl. To the Pharisee at midnight, I tell you the truth. You will not get into the kingdom of heaven unless you are born again. Same Jesus. Different methods. Apparently, it's okay to change your methods to fit the circumstances and need. And so like her Lord, the church in Acts does just that, depending on where and depending on when and depending on who they change. And if it's good for Jesus in the church in Acts, surely it must be okay for the church, the remnant church at the end of time. Hmm? Put it on the screen one more time, please. Unity in mission. Diversity in method. That's what I got to tell you. I need to tell you. I am absolutely, I am not troubled by the church at all. You know why? I have confidence. I am confident that the God of Acts 15 is the God of 2015. It's the same God. We can be confident. You and I can be confident in Him that through unity and mission, but diversity and methods, just as He did in the book of Acts, He can do the same today for the glory and honor of Him who is the Lord of the church and is the Lord of us all. Amen. And amen. Let's pray. Oh, God. You haven't changed. I, the Lord, change not. If Jesus would change depending on the circumstances, time and place and person, if the church of Acts took their cues from Jesus and did the same, then surely, Holy Father, the church, the remnant church at the end of time will be safe in following the example of her Lord and her heritage. Oh God, we are a very little church and you are a very big God. 
we are not afraid at all that you will not win. Win-win in the life of our faith community. So have at it. Give us the grace and the love of Jesus as we journey together beyond into a world desperately needing a church to rise up, seize the moment, and finish the work entrusted to us. In the name of the Lord Jesus, we trust you implicitly. Let all the people say, Amen and Amen. May I take an extra moment with you and let you know how grateful I am that you joined us in worship today. I hear from viewers like you across the nation and literally around the world, and I'm thankful. If you'd like to explore further what we've just shared, I hope you'll visit us at our website. It's an easy one to remember, www.pmchurch.tv. We're the Pioneer Memorial Church here on the campus of Andrews University. So that's www.pmchurch.tv. Click onto that website and you'll be able to listen to a podcast of this material. You can download the presentation. You can print off the study guide. You may have a special prayer need that you wish to share with our prayer partners. Or you may wish to partner with us through a personal donation to help reach this generation with the everlasting good news of Christ. If you'd rather talk with someone, call one of our friendly operators. Here's the toll-free number, 877, and then the two words, His Will. 877-HIS-WILL. In the meantime, may the grace and peace of Jesus be yours every step of this adventurous way.